I would like you, as we get started, to listen again to how the Gospel of Matthew describes the scene on the first Easter morning. Suddenly there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were shaken and became like dead men, because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. Here's what's remarkable to me. You know this idea of like Rorschach tests, where you know people can look at these inkblot things and you ask, you know, what do you see in this? And it's this way of like diagnosing something deep within the being. And, and now you have these optical illusion things like that one that's the old woman and it's the young woman. You guys know about this? And it's supposed to tell you something about yourself. I was actually looking at this and it says, if you see the young woman, you're under 30. And if you see the old woman, you're over 30. Um, I saw the old woman. Anyway, um, <laughs> That's what's going on a bit in this gospel story. The guards and the women witness the same thing. Why do they react so differently? Why? The story suggests the reason is love. The reason they react so differently is because of love. And I know that we're all coming here from different places this morning. Some of us are coming from a deep place of, of faith. Some of us are coming struggling with faith. Others of us are coming very skeptical about faith. What I would ask you to do is to try to just listen to the story this morning for what it says and see, see what, where God meets you in that. Even if you struggle to believe that God is here, that you would just suspend that and listen and see if God would meet you. This story suggests that the reason these people react differently to what happens is because of love. The guards have been placed at the tomb of Jesus for this very reason, to ensure that nothing happens. Think about that. They know there was talk of this man rising from the dead. They're there to make sure that the dead man stays dead. They have sealed the tomb to make certain of it. They don't realize that in barricading Jesus in, they've also barricaded themselves out. They've sealed their own hearts against the action of God. So when God does show up, they have good reason to be afraid. They have aligned themselves with the forces of death. In striking fashion, the story says that even though heaven and earth may be shaken, a barricaded heart can remain impenetrable to the new things that God wishes to do. Do you hear that? that, that heaven and earth are shaken in this moment when the angel comes down. But these men's hearts cannot be changed. And in a powerful twist, while the dead one rises to life, the living executors of power become like the dead. And this is remarkable. Jesus is risen from the dead. And these men who were, who were technically alive, when they see the power of God, 
they become dead themselves. But the women, on the other hand, they have allowed themselves, here's the difference, they've allowed themselves to be wounded by love. They witness the same event as the guards, but the angel speaks to the women, do not be afraid. Why? Why does the angel say this to the women, but not to the guards? And here is what they say is the reason. Because you're looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. Somehow in the logic of heaven, when you're seeking the one who was crucified, there is no reason to be afraid. The women go on the quest to which they're sent to tell the disciples what they've been told and then to make their way to Galilee. But on the way, they're abruptly met by the risen Jesus himself. Now, here's what's special about this. They don't find Jesus. Jesus finds them. Jesus has no other reason to stop them except so that he might be with them and they with him. Jesus is the God of sacred scripture who is always seeking people. So Adam and Eve in the garden, God asks, he's looking for them, and he says, where are you? And the issue there is not that God can't find them, it's that they've lost themselves. Then God allured Israel, his chosen people, into the wilderness, and we're told in Hosea that he lured them into the wilderness so that he might speak tenderly to them. And Jesus is the shepherd who goes searching for his lost sheep. All of sacred scripture points to a God who is always on his way to us, always seeking us out in our need in order to give us himself. That's what God wants to do for us. We have um, come up with this idea that man is always in search for God. In, in our era, we use this phrase that man is in search for God. But we use it in this arrogant way that um, we're the ones who are going to lay claim to God. <laughs> but scripture suggests that God is trying to lay claim to us, but we're always running from him in some way. When the women see Jesus... They fall at his feet and they take hold of him. It says that they take hold of his feet. And in that moment, we have an allusion to the bride in this book of the Bible called the Song of Songs. It's this romantic poem about a husband and wife who are in search of one another, seeking to love each other. And in this passage, it says, the woman says, I have found him whom my soul loves, and I held on to him tightly. And that's what the women are doing in this moment. They find Jesus, or he finds them, and they lay down and grab hold of his feet and take hold of him tightly. Jesus has become the husband for which they longed. One of my favorite writers on the Gospels he writes about these women coming to the tomb that morning before they know that Jesus is risen. And here's what he says. He says that these women preferred a dead Jesus to any man alive, which says a lot about Jesus and a lot about other men. <laughs> right?
Jesus repeats the instructions of the angel. And that again, the fact that Jesus doesn't say anything new, all he does is repeat what the angel says, suggests that Jesus didn't have to go to these women. The only reason he went to them is so that he might be with them and them with him. That is why Jesus rose from the dead, to be with you and for you to be with him. This is a story about love. Now, I'm going to share with you briefly, to close, three commands that arise from the resurrection. Three commands that Jesus gives in this brief moment. But before I do that, I want to pause and ask you, do you identify more with those strong men who are put there to guard the tomb? Or with those broken-hearted women who go there weeping? Because of a love that has been crushed. Who do you identify with more? I, I, I find that most of us, even as I listen to this story, I, I find that it's hard to identify with the women, to be frank. Uh, the expectations of most of us um, are according to some specific way of being a man or a woman. But Jesus is suggesting that the weakness that those women were allowing themselves to experience of a brokenheartedness is actually good. That love that is willing to be broken and vulnerable is the place that you will find the Lord Jesus seeking you. Who do you identify with more? Are you uh, trying to protect things in life? Or are you opening your hands up and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and broken? That is a hard place to be. But it's also a place where the Lord who rose from the dead and conquered death is willing to meet you. You know, the story suggests that the challenge to believing the resurrection is not so much a historical challenge Something that's hard to believe. That's what we've talked about a lot with the resurrection in the last hundred years. Is that, did this really happen? And we evaluate it in this very historical way. How reliable is it? And it's true, and the scriptures acknowledge that this is the strangest thing in the world that has ever happened. The scriptures actually meet us on that front and say, you know what, you're right. This is out of this world weird. In Jesus, death, for the first time ever, has given up a victim. And death will no longer have a hold on him. But the story is also suggesting that the greater challenge to belief is not historical issues. The greater challenge is the challenge of love. Of opening our lives to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because we're constantly putting up our defenses against love. And we're constantly trying to guard the tomb and to keep God from doing anything new in our lives that would stretch us and force us to our knees. The Lord Jesus is seeking you. And he's asking you to do that. To open your life deeper to love. Now there are three commands that arise with the resurrection. The first command is what Jesus says when he greets the women. Most of our Bibles simply say, have Jesus saying greetings. That's not the word. The word is rejoice. 
He greets the women, and the only word he has for them is rejoice. The second command is do not fear. Do not fear. And some of you probably notice that these commands are both about emotions that we typically think are far from our control, don't we? How can we simply rejoice when things are going out of control in our lives, when we're distraught with grief, or when our personality just may not lend itself to these kinds of exuberant expressions of happiness? How can we just not be afraid when there's anxiety that is deep within our souls? How can God command us to take on attitudes that are so personal and so individual? Here's the only way that God can command us to do this. Only because His very presence brings these emotions and these attitudes. His presence brings joy and it diminishes fear. Did you hear what it said when the angel told the women he is risen? It said they went away with fear and great joy. Now here's the thing. If you have an experience that is, has some fear and a lot of joy, that's very likely God. That's a good sign. Okay, But notice where the emphasis is. The emphasis is on joy. If you have an experience that is only fear, you're experiencing God at a distance and not his intimate presence. God wants you to have an experience of him that is filled with joy. And the reason it's fear and great joy, I think, is because the great joy is gradually dissolving the fear because perfect love casts out fear. God in his presence brings joy and diminishes fear. In other words, these commands that Jesus gives... Rejoice and do not fear. They're only accomplished by His presence, by grace. It's not dependent on you conjuring up joy. It's not. One of the fathers of the church wrote this as a prayer. Grant what you command. Command what you wish. Grant what you command. Command whatever you wish. You see, God present in Jesus wants to give us everything he's commanded by giving us himself. He will never tell you to do something that, you, that he will not empower you with his spirit to do. To fulfill something that he will not enable you to fulfill. Of course, you will never be able to do it by yourself, but he's willing to give you himself. So the first two commands are to rejoice and do not fear. And the third command is go forth and tell my brothers. Go forth and tell my brothers. There's more to this than we hear on the surface. These brothers are people who abandon Jesus at his weakest moment. They left Jesus to die alone. Without them. His friends. So the women are to take their own intimate experience of the Lord Jesus and to share it with the men. And in doing so, they are to present the brothers with the forgiving love of Jesus. I think there's something really special here 
about what Christians are called to do for each other. To present each other with the forgiving love of Jesus. In this commandment of Jesus, go forth and tell my brothers, we're hearing what it means to be messengers of God's mercy, to receive his forgiving love into our own lives and to bring it to others who are shut up in their failure and in their shame. The disciples' shameful and cowardly abandonment of Jesus in his moment of defeat will not keep Jesus from coming to be with them Jesus will remain committed to his brothers because, and here are the beautiful, beautiful words from Paul's letter to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I wonder if you are shut up in your own failure, in your own shame, are you receiving the merciful love of God, the forgiving love of God into your life? And here's a way that you know this. Are you drawing near to him and to his people? Or are you closed up and remaining distant from him and his people? The Lord is calling all of us, whether you're near to him or whether you're far from him, to receive his forgiven love, forgiving love into your life and to extend that forgiving love into the lives of others who are far from him. You know, we're under the impression today that the world is sort of weary of Christian faith. We hear all around us, Christian faith is shrinking. And I want to challenge you to be slow to believe that the world is weary of the good news of Jesus. I think what the world is weary of is a good news that has not been truly experienced by those who preach it. A Jesus announced when he's not been touched, taken hold of, and worshipped in an adoring love. The women are only able to take this word about Jesus to the disciples after they have been with them, him themselves. And that's what we need to hear. We can only take his love to others if we're with him ourselves. And we cannot turn back the clock and make a new and better beginning on the world. We cannot turn back the clock and make a better beginning on ourselves. We cannot. But the God of heaven can. And Easter announces that he has. He has begun a new work in the world and he wishes to begin a new work in you. Are you allowing the risen Jesus to come near to you and to love you? And are you loving him back? Alleluia, Christ is risen. Yes. Alleluia. Yes.